Are you ready to talk baseball? Well, step up to the plate. You're listening to Passion for the Pastime. And here's your host, Walter. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Hope you are doing well, staying safe, and being healthy out there. And on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be focusing on the St. Louis Cardinals. Because, hey, guess what? San Francisco Giants, they're taking on the St. Louis Cardinals this weekend to open up the second half. To open up a very crucial set of games, I might add. We'll get into that shortly, but we'll be speaking with Katie Wu, beat writer for The Athletic for the St. Louis Cardinals. We're going to be talking with her because last time she was all over KMBR when the Cardinals were in San Francisco, but now the Giants are on her turf. So we're going to be speaking with Katie Wu to find out what's going on with the Cardinals. What can we expect from the Cardinals going into the second half of the year and especially going into the deadline? Are they going to be moving pieces? Are they going to be acquiring pieces? Or are they just going to stay the same? What is the expectation there? Because when you look at the Cardinals, the Cardinals have always been a team that at least through... My my mind, I cannot think of a postseason without the St. Louis Cardinals. It, it's just it's it's hard to think because they have that reputation for them that they are always going to be in and always going to be competitive. They find themselves eight games out of the NL Central right now, trailing the Brewers. But eight games, I mean, for for the rest of the season, yeah, it's a big number. But it's not impossible. It is not impossible. So the Cardinals, like many other teams going into this deadline, are looking at themselves and saying, hey, what do we need? Can we make a push? What do we need to bring in for that push? And if not, what pieces can we get rid of? Because when you look up and down that team and you look up and down uh, the, the, the bullpen, up and down the, the starting rotation, they have the pieces. They might be a little bit banged up, but they have the pieces. So I don't foresee a big blow-up happening in St. Louis. But the Cardinals are one of those teams that is very interesting. And when you look across uh, baseball, you know, we're going to be speaking with uh, Chrissy Ackert. Next week, for the Yankees, I mean, what what do the Yankees do? The Yankees are a little bit, you know, I I think the Yankees would be a little bit worse off right now um, going into the deadline because no one knows what the Yankees are going to do. Nobody knows. They find themselves, they're in a similar situation. They're three games ahead of 500, three games up on 500. And eight games back of first place, first place Red Sox. Not to mention they're behind two other teams that are behind the Red Sox in the Rays and the Blue Jays. And we saw what the Blue Jays had to offer in the, in, uh, in the All-Star game with Bo Bichette and my guy, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. So what do the Yankees do? I mean, there's a lot of teams when you look around the standings all across baseball. What do these teams end up doing at the deadline? You have to make that definitive choice, right? Because the Indians in the AL Central, 
They're eight games back. So they're either going to have to make a hell of a push to catch the White Sox, which I don't think that is going to happen. But then they have to play the wild card game. They have to either catch right now, currently, it's the Athletics and the Rays at the wild card spots. So it's teams like that. And then the Mariners. The Mariners, are are they just playing with house money at this point? They're only four and a half games back from, from the A's in their division, seven games back from the division. So that's the AL side of it. Then you look at the NL. I mean, hell, nobody knows what's going on in the NL East. <laughs> I mean, no, nobody knows what's going on in the NL East. The, the Mets are leading right now. But then you got the Phillies, which I did not... I had I had to I had to really look it up. Like I I was looking on Google and I was like, wait, hold on, let me go to MLB.com to make sure these are the right standings. Yeah, the Phillies at 500 are three and a half games back from the Mets. Is that really saying something? Not really, but I mean, it re- it really says something about the NL East. A 500 team is only three and a half games back. Then you got the Braves. A half game back behind the Phillies. Yeah, they they're dealing with um, with losing Ronald Acuna, but I believe the Braves just uh, just acquired Jock Peterson, if I, if I'm not mistaken. So here we go, and it begins. The trade deadline is upon us. Jock Peterson now with the Braves. I think that that's a good move for both parties. Um, but we'll, I mean, still the Nationals are still in it. <laughs> the Nationals are still in it, six games back. I mean, it, it is a very interesting time uh, to be one of those teams that are, are, are you going to plan for next year or are we making a shot for this year? And then it's the determination of, all right, well, how much do we give up for this year? And, and of the future, how much do we give up? You know, so it's it's very interesting. I mean, the Reds are even there in the NL Central. I'm, going, I'm just going through all, all, all the divisions now. At, th- at this point, I've gone through all the divisions. <laughs> Might as well. You got the NL Central. You got the Reds four games back. The Cubs are eight games back, but they just traded away Jock Peterson. So is that a signal to, all right, is Craig, Craig Kimbrell up? Is Chris Bryant up? Are, are, are we going to get... A massive blow up in Chicago because they're only eight games back. The Cardinals are actually tied with the Cubs at this point in the season. But see, the Cubs, not necessarily blowing it up, but they already made a move. They already moved Jock Peterson. And many around the game think that that signals, all right, Chris Bryant is going to be on the move and Craig Kimbrell is going to be on the move. Do you see that happening with the Cardinals? Because they have a very different situation. Every team is different. Just because it's eight games back for both of these teams and they have identical records doesn't mean that they all think the same way or have the same beliefs. That's what makes baseball great. They all have a different MO, a different way about going about business. Then you look at the West. You got the Giants, Dodgers, and the Padres jumbled up there at the top. Giants up on the Dodgers two 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 games 
at the halfway point, up six games on the Padres. And then the rest of the... Is there any other teams in the NL West? <laughs> no disrespect to the Rockies. I feel bad for the Rockies, man. Uh, Diamondbacks, eh. I could, I could care less about the Diamondbacks. 2011, and, and I'm just petty. 2011 is... Uh, it, it, it rubs me the wrong way. I think it was 2011. Was it 2011? The Diamondbacks uh, won the division in Arizona against the Giants. I think it was 2011 when they when they jumped in the pool. It, that just made my blood boil. <laughs> I, I I hated every minute of that. Turned off the TV. I was just like, you know what? I'm done with this. <laughs> oh man! But it's gonna be a fun uh, second half. Most definitely is. And real quick, because we're gonna be speaking with Katie Wu here in just a just a couple minutes of the Athletic beat writer for the Cardinals. Giants, they open up their second half against the Cardinals. And let me tell you, I mean, you guys have heard it over and over that the Giants got through the easy part of their schedule. And and they took advantage, as they should have. But man, oh man, if you start looking at the rest of this schedule, I'm about to go through it now. This is a series that the Giants need to get off to the right foot. And the series against the Cardinals when they came to San Francisco, it was not a good time. <laughs> it was not a good time. So they have the Cardinals in St. Louis for three. That's how we start the break. Then you got the Dodgers for four, which, why do we keep playing four-game series in L.A.? Can we get one in San Francisco? That's, that's all I'm asking. Didn't we have a four-game series in L.A. earlier on this year? Why Why another one? <laughs> Come on. Help us out a little bit. Jeez. So the Dodgers, four games. Then they have the Pirates. So that's a, that's a little bit of a, uh, you know, it's a good tune-up or, or a get-right series, as, as you will. Then they got the day off. Then going into the deadline, three against the Dodgers, which by um, I, I would like to say, all four, uh, seven of those games, Corey Seager is expected to be back for that series. That's what I'm hearing. That he'll be back the 19th for the Dodgers. So they're going to get some reinforcements on, on the offensive side. They're taking some shots to the pitching staff. But they got seven games in the next 10 days. Against the, the Dodgers. It's going to be rough. So that, that's what they have going into the deadline. Then, after the deadline, they have the Astros for three. D-backs, yeah, they got D-backs for four, get right series. Then they got the Brewers. Then later in the month in August, they got the Mets. Then they got, th- this is the roughest uh, part of the schedule when you look at August. You got the Mets, the A's. In New York for the Mets, the Braves, the Brewers. And then, hey, let's just finish off that with a three-game series against the Dodgers. (laughs) That's going into September. That is going to be telling for what the Giants end up doing, for what the Giants end up becoming in this second half. September gets a little bit easier, but 
they, they play the Padres damn near every week of September going into October. They got a four-game, a three-game, and then they end out the 2021 series season with a three-game series in October, the first, the second, and the third against the Padres. <laughs> That's a lot of games against the Padres. But, man, the build-up to September? You got to put on your big boy pants. <laughs> it's going to be... It's going to be a fun ride. But first things first, they have the Cardinals. We have questions. Katie Wu is coming up next. Beat writer for The Athletic. You're listening to Passion for the Pastime Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Passion for the Pastime. Your host, Walter, here. And talking on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be speaking with Katie Wu, beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals, because the Giants, they open up the second half in St. Louis, we actually have Murph and Mac and uh, and Copes out there um, recording live across the street from uh, Bush Stadium. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good, Walter. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, I actually just woke up not too long ago. <laughs> and, nice, uh, and Dallas. I have, a, I have a crick in my neck, and it, it's bugging the hell out of me. But other than that, I can't complain. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. I wish I could say I just woke up, but... Um... You know, I slept probably, not kidding, the majority of the All-Star break, and I would like to think that I'm rested for the second half, but I am not. Um, so I'm, I'm already struggling. We're not off to a good start. Oh, man. I was going to ask you, what, did you enjoy your All-Star break? But it sounds like you, like you did. Oh, I definitely did. I actually flew back to California and went to Tahoe up, uh, with my family and did not really participate in many of the family activities as I was asleep. But, you know, it's the effort that counts. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, Katie. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're going to need all that sleep, you know, because I anticipate, I'm not sure if you anticipate, but uh, I feel like the second half is going to be very uh, pressing for the Cardinals, especially as the trade deadline approaches, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is a Cardinals team that has dug themselves into a little bit of a hole. You know, they're, they're tied with the Cubs, who have declared that they're going to be sellers yesterday and, and trading Jock Peterson. Tied, for the Cubs, tied with the Cubs for third place in the division. They're eight games back from the Brewers. They're under 500. And they're still somehow very much in contention for the NL Central. Um, and, you know, the Cardinals pride themselves on being a second-half team over the past few seasons. They can definitely back that up. Uh, they came just short of reaching the playoffs in 2018. In 2019, they made this incredible run. And in 2020, of course, everything was so short. Um, but this Cardinals team really had to fight with all of their COVID issues just to make the playoffs. So they know what kind of grind it's going to take over the next two months. And they're very confident they can do it. Um, and then you throw in all the uncertainty of the trade deadline. It's going to be a, a very hectic next couple of months for sure in St. Louis. When was the last time that the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs? Because I feel like they've always had something uh, to do with the playoffs every year. Right, that's kind of just their MO. Uh, you know, every year they come in and, and they're like, we're going to compete for the playoffs. We're going to compete for the World Series. And the, the, the bare minimum for this team is making the playoffs. That's the lowest their expectations are. So 2018 was a little bit of a, uh, a slump for them. And, you know, I, if you ask anyone in the clubhouse, they'll say, we're making the playoffs in 2021. Uh, you know, the, the math doesn't look great now, but we, they definitely have the players to do it. They have the talent. They have the experience. They just have to put it all together. And they're all confident that they can. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting also because this year, I mean, teams – outside of the NL West, right? Because we have the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Um, the The Dodgers and the Padres right now take up the, the wild card spot. So when, when you're outside of that division, 
the teams looking out or looking in are saying, all right, well, we have to get our division. That's our only way in. And you said that the, the Cardinals are eight games back, right, from the from the Brewers. So it's not it's not impossible, but it is a, a, a steep hill to climb. But uh, the Cardinals, they're, they're going to put on a show uh, coming into the second half for sure. What do you think that needs to change for the Cardinals uh, as they open up the second half? You know, I think it's just all about consistency. I mean, the Cardinals, just like almost every other team, have been dealt their fair share of injuries, specifically with their rotation. I mean, you, Jack, you lose Jack Flaherty. They lost Miles Michaelis again. Carlos Martinez could possibly miss the remainder of the season. A team put him on a 60-day injured list. It doesn't look good uh, for any kind of return for Carlos there. So the starting the starting rotation really has to improve. But here's the thing is guys like Adam Wainwright and Kwang Young Kim have really stepped up in that role and have – kind of bridged the gap over the last couple of weeks or so that's made the rotation a little bit more attainable and establishing that consistency. Then you look on the flip side, it's the offense that's also been a little bit inconsistent. And I'm not talking about the approach or the the strategy at the plate. That's been very consistent throughout one through nine of that Cardinals lineup. They pride themselves on a patient approach against the plate. They really make pitchers work. They are very, um, very selective with the pitches that they will chase. They try to work their walks. That approach has been very consistent. It's been the results that have varied. Um, you know, they can go out there and score nine runs and the next next three games average two. Um, so I think improving, and the Cardinals have over the last couple of weeks in multiple different offensive categories, continuing to improve their offense production will go a long way. Their bullpen is very steady. The rotation is could be aided by the trade market, although that's a pretty difficult thing to ask given how much in-demand starting pitching is. For me, the scheme where they can really improve is is just improving the production of their offense. We're talking with Katie Wu, beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals for The Athletic, and we're talking Cardinals ball here. And, you know, you, you talked about the offense. And, I mean, if you would have asked me that there would be offensive struggles with a lineup that has Goldschmidt and Arenado, I would have thought you were crazy. But, <laughs> you know, they still have uh, their issues. There are only two, two players in that lineup. But... You know, I try to wrap my head around uh, why the offense isn't producing as well as they should, given that they have Goldschmidt and Arenado, who, you know, Giants fans know them as Giants killers over the last decade. So uh, try to wrap my head around that a little bit. Yeah, I think the, the entire team is. I mean, when you look at the lineup on paper, they definitely have the guys. I mean, Giants fans are well aware of Arenado and Goldschmidt. Hey, maybe the series against them will, uh, coming up this weekend, will maybe, I don't know, spark something like it did before. Um, But they also have guys that are emerging up-and-comers like Dylan Carlson uh, from Elk Grove High School from Northern California. Tyler O'Neill has always been a a power hitter. He's relatively new, um, but he's been able to be a little bit more consistent, and that's been been nice to see. He's been able to work some walks instead of being a true two-outcome player like he was in the past. Yadier Molina, much like Buster Posey, continues to defy all logic and age. They have the guys to do it. Um, I think a, a big question mark is Paul DeYoung, who's always been a bit of a power hitter. and He's been a little streaky, but he's always been able to hit for average. He's been scuffling a bit. Hopefully the second half serves as a recharge for him. Um, but I'm also really curious to see what Harrison Bader can bring to this Cardinals offense. I mean, Bader missed almost 60 games of the first half with two separate injury stints. But you ask his teammates, and they, they plug him as the spark plug for that lineup. His defensive abilities in center field, those are pretty well documented. Everyone knows that Bader is probably one of the more elite center fielders in the game. 
And he's always been able to hit left-handed hitters. Now, if he can be able to turn that some of that success against right-handers, specifically against breaking balls, which we've been able to see in small sample sizes this season, that really helps the lineup as well. So really, it's all about individual guys kind of playing their part and playing their role that's going to get this offense together. It's less of a one person needs to pick up the slack. It's more of a collective effort, what they can do, one through eight, one through nine, to get better results. How is uh, Dylan Carlson doing, by the way, California native? How's he doing this year? Dylan Carlson has, uh, you know, he's putting together a pretty respectable rookie year campaign. But when you talk to him, he he has this poise that is so veteran-esque. I mean, you can definitely tell he's been hanging around Paul Goldschmidt a lot. He has emerged as an everyday candidate. He's been probably one of their most reliable guys. He's had to play all three outfield positions, given how injured the Cardinals roster has been. He can hit anywhere. He's emerged as the top of the lineup hitter. In the beginning of the year, he was batting sixth and seventh, and that lasted about two weeks before Mike Schilt moved him up to second. And uh, now Dylan will also hit leadoff, depending on the starter. Tommy Edmund will usually get the leadoff spot against left-handers, but Carlson has emerged as a pretty solid leadoff candidate and gets right-handers, too. This kid can do it all, and it's, it's really impressive to remember he's just 22 years old, and he's playing with an established, like like an established veteran. Um, you can see it in his plate approach. He's very patient. He does what he can to get on base. Like I said, he can play admirably in left, center, and right field. And, you know, he's just cemented himself as an everyday player in this lineup. And it's, it'd be very hard to imagine where the Cardinals would be without Dylan Carlson. Yeah, and his future is bright. I mean, like you said, he's 22 years old. I, I want to follow his uh, his career, also being that he's from Northern California. I'm in the East Bay, uh, so I'm only about 45 minutes away from him. So, or where where he went to high school, anyway. He's in St. Louis now, <laughs> but we're talking with, with uh, Katie Wu here of the Athletic, uh, beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, you, you mentioned Yadier Molina a little bit, and he's having a, a somewhat decent season, I would say, uh, by, probably not by his standards, but uh, Yadier Molina, he got voted into the All-Star game, didn't go, but he got voted into the All-Star game as a reserve, uh, but is this it? For Yadier Molina, because the the Cardinals find themselves in a weird in between stage where they're going to build for the future, but also want to compete. But right now, they're not in you know where they want to be. Um, but is this it for Yadier Molina? Is he is this going to be the the last season for him? No, I don't think so. I think he still has at least one year left, um, and it's remarkable that a catcher who just turned thirty nine on Tuesday, by the way. Still has the durability and the athleticism and just the overall capability to play the way that Yachty has been playing. But, you know, this is a guy that he, he has said, you know, maybe a couple more years, but just from the conversations we've had and, and just hearing on the organization, I can't imagine this would be his last year barring anything unusual. Um, I think he is uh, fully confident he'll return to St. Louis next year. Um, and I, you know, it's funny because when we watch what Yachty does every day, almost easy to forget what we're witnessing. I mean, the, the trends of this game don't exactly portray a career, in, especially as a catcher, in which you can stay with the organization for your entire career. Um, so when we see guys like Yachty and, and Buster potentially doing that, it, it kind of makes you stop and take it all in. Um, but that being said, I still don't think that Yachty is even considering hanging it up this year. Uh, maybe around this time next year or next offseason, it's a different conversation. But my belief is that he'll be he'll be right back on the roster come twenty twenty two. 
Yeah, Yadier Molina, he's uh, just one of those players that you love to watch just in the in the batter's box and also behind the plate. I mean, he is just a magician. Just Giants fans know, obviously, because over the years, uh, there's always been the debate um, when Buster Posey first came onto the scene. Oh, who's the best catcher in the National League? It was always Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, Buster Posey, Yadier Molina. And, uh, and now they're still doing it to a high level. Uh, it's great to see. It's great to see with Yadier Molina. Hopefully, he, uh, he can, he's still has a lot more in the tank I think he still does I mean uh, you, you would know more than any anyone Katie uh, that he probably still wants to play well into his 40s oh yeah absolutely it's, uh, it's hard to even get this guy a day off and it's not like the Cardinals <laughs> don't have an admirable replacement Andrew Kisner does a fantastic job behind the plate but he wants to be out there every day even when he's getting beat up with you know check swings foul balls taking them off off his body he doesn't care he wants to be out there it, it's not even uncommon on a day game after a night game to see him somehow still out there. Um, so yeah, this is a dude that wants to play. He commands the respect of everybody in the organization and throughout baseball. And it's, it's really, it's really awesome to witness. Now going back to uh, the, the all-star break. I mean, we talk about Yadier Molina possibly coming back, right. Uh, for another season, another couple of years, you look at, Specifically, the home run derby. I mean, Nolan Arenado. He was getting um, cheered by the the Colorado Rockies fans. Obviously, in Colorado, loved there. Um, but you see him in the home run derby. You know, interacting with Trevor Story and interacting with a lot of other players from other teams. Is there a little bit of a of an instance where you get a little nervous that maybe some of these guys are trying to uh, to bring Nolan to, to their respective squads or what's the concern level of concern uh, of Nolan Arenado returning to, uh, to St. Louis? Well, if you ask uh, any Cardinals fan, the concern level is very high. Uh, and that, that level was high after one week of the season where the Cardinals, I think went like three and four and people were asking me, well, he's going to opt out if they don't turn it around. Um, so, <laughs> Personally, though, I think the concern is very low. Nolan Arenado wanted to come to St. Louis. He wants to be a St. Louis Cardinal. He wants to be playing for an organization that goes out and wins. You never see the Cardinals as sellers. You never see the Cardinals tank. That's why Nolan wants to be in St. Louis. He wants to compete. Nolan Arenado is one of the fiercest competitors in Major League Baseball, and that's saying something given that almost everybody in Major League Baseball is obviously a fierce competitor. But he's with the guys, he's with the club, and he's with the organization that he wants to be with. And yes, he does have an opt-out clause or a couple coming up in his contract, but I don't see him going anywhere. I mean, and this is for a multitude of reasons. You look at where we're headed in December when the current CBA expires. When baseball historically does a CBA renegotiation, that almost always historically favors the front office. It never really favors the players. So for Arnold to even be considering an opt-out right now, which I do not believe that he is, it would be a not very good financially smart decision. And you take all of the money away, again, he wants to be in St. Louis. He's very committed to, wearing, to winning a championship in a Cardinal uniform. The Cardinals have the guys to do it. I mean, 2021, they pretty much have half of the guys they, ide they ideally pictured having. Come 2022, it's a brand new team. You could possibly have their top two prospects up. Alex Reyes will move from the closer role to a starter role. You'll have a healthy Jack Flaherty. You'll have a healthy Miles Michaelis. You'll have a healthy Dakota Hudson. It's kind of a brand new team. So, no, this is a very long-winded but passionate answer to your question. I do not think there should be much concern about Nolan Arenado leaving St. Louis. I, this is absolutely where he wants to be. 
Well, and, and St. Louis has that winning culture, right? As we've talked exactly. about on this podcast, it's, you know, I, like I said, I couldn't remember the last time that they didn't make the playoffs. It seems like they're always in the mix and that's something that he didn't get in Colorado. Right. And right. And that's what he sniff. really wants. Right. Exactly. So uh, I, th- I think, you know, with you after hearing that answer, I- I'm all in. He's coming back. <laughs> he, has, he has to come back to St. Louis. Um, but Nolan, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what goes on um, behind Nolan Arenado because you mentioned some of the prospects that will be coming up. And we saw some of them in the Futures game uh, over the All-Star break. Nolan Gorman, he was waiting in the winds, uh, third base. What, what's the timetable? What's the plan for him moving forward? So I actually just caught up with Nolan Gorman a couple weeks ago when the when he was with Double A and that Double A team faced Tulsa. Caught up with him and chatted. So it was funny. He told me that when the news broke that the Cardinals were going to trade for Arenado, Nolan Gorman knew that he was going to have to make a position change. So he has spent this season in the minor leagues. Now that we have the minor leagues back, thankfully, working out at second base. He's kind of turning himself into a hybrid infielder, a utility option. He still gets plenty of reps at third. But he does get a significant amount of reps at second base as well. The plan right now is to keep him in the infield. He doesn't really want to be on the outfield. He wants to remain in the dirt. But because he's getting plenty of reps at second base and can still play third and his overall value is a hit tool, you know, this is all of a sudden a completely different package with Nolan Gorman. And he did so well in double A that he was promoted to triple A right before the end of June. And just a couple days ago, smacked his first AAA home run. So the timeline for Gorman is is good. I would expect him to be in the you know opening day roster conversation come next spring training. Um, mainly because he's proven to be a very versatile defender, along with the hit tool that you know he was always prized to be. So it's been a very exciting season to see what Nolan Gorman has been doing down at the farm. We're talking with Katie Wu, beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals for The Athletic. Uh, Katie, before I let you go, we have to dive into the trade deadline that's coming up, right? Um, of course. You, you kind of mentioned earlier that they're looking at pitching, um, potentially bringing in pitching, may, maybe a bat, I'm not sure, but are the are the Cardinals planning on being heavy heavy uh, buyers, sellers? Like what What's going to be the M.O. Uh, come a week and a half from now? So I think the question isn't whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. I think it's going to be a question of are they going to be buyers or holders, right? Because when you look at their roster, the, I think the only guy that they could really sell that could get them net them a very profitable return would be Andrew Miller. He's a veteran left-handed reliever. Relief pitchers are always needed at the trade deadline. He's a proven track record. Teams are probably interested in Andrew Miller. But I do not see the Cardinals selling by any means, again, because they still believe they're very much in contention. And... When you look at it, they are. When you look at their second-half schedule, there is a ton of NL Central division matchups there. Their strength of schedule in August is very easy. They have a matchups against the Twins, the Tigers, the Pirates, the Royals, and the Braves. So that's definitely an, an area to keep, uh, some, to keep making up some ground in. Whether or not they buy you know, depends on if they can find a viable starting pitching resource that won't cost too much, and that seems like the million-dollar question. Because as you know, Walter, starting pitching is in such a high demand by every team. It always is at the trade deadline. But this year, especially with so many pitchers injured, and there's not a lot out there that could, you know, net a profitable return. You see guys like Kyle Gibson and, and John Gray kind of be floated out there. Well, those are going to cost way more than what the Cardinals are willing to part with because they're optimistic that they're going to get both Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty back before the end of the season. 
So the timeliness of both of those injuries and the, the projected timetable of their return make negotiating for starting pitching really tricky for July 31st because the Cardinals are now balancing and President of Baseball Operations John Mozeliak is now balancing, you know, do I overspend for six weeks of desperation or can I string together some internal experiments, you know, try some guys out at AAA. They signed Wade LeBlanc as a free agent a month ago and now he's kind of a stopgap starter and it's worked out well for them. And hope that that's enough that when Miles and Jack return, we're set there. So as much as, you know, ideally the Cardinals would like to add starting pitching, I don't know if that's feasible enough because the front office made it very clear they will not blow up their blueprint for the future for a couple of weeks of desperation and overspending. So really, I think the biggest move they, the Cardinals can make is getting Jack Flaherty back before September. And whether or not they can do that remains to be seen, but they're optimistic he will return. Katie, as always on KMBR uh, airwaves and, uh, you know, you, you're great. You're great, and I appreciate you coming on, talking some ball, and uh, enjoy the, the weekend series, Giants, over there at, uh, at Bush Stadium. Thanks, Walter. Always appreciate it. And there you have it again. That was Katie Wu for The Athletic, beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Go ahead and give him a follow on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. That is Katie J. Wu on Twitter to get all of your Cardinals' needs. Uh, because are they going to be active at the, at the trade deadline? Or, like Katie said, are they just going to hold on to their pieces, hope for things to, to get better, and plan for 2022 so i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation i sure did katie was awesome uh look forward to speaking with her down the line as we move forward into the second half of the year so you guys have a good one be safe and next week we're going to be talking yankees and a lot more coming up so you guys be safe and i'll talk to you next time